Corrie ten Boom was sick with the flu on the day a man came to their small watch shop, and he insisted he speak with her. Corrie and her family were sheltering Jews from Hitler's Nazis. And Corrie later recalled, and I quote, There is an old Dutch expression, You can tell a man by the way he meets your eyes. This man seemed to concentrate somewhere between my nose and my chin. End quote. The nervous Dutchman told Corey that he and his wife had been sheltering Jews as well, but his wife had been arrested. He needed money to bribe a police officer for her release. She was torn and uncertain, but she didn't want to chance turning him away empty-handed. They had been known among the Jews for their kindness. So Corey told him to return in about a half an hour. She would have the money to help him. But instead of the Dutchman returning, the Gestapo arrived to raid their house and arrest Corey's entire family. Later in the work camp prison where they were taken, Corey found out that the man who had come into their shop that day was named Jan Vogel. He had been cooperating with the Germans since the first day the Germans occupied Holland. In her book, The Hiding Place, Corey wrote in her own words how she was feeling at that very moment. She wrote this, Flames of fire seemed to leap around that name in my heart. I thought of father's final hours, alone and confused in a hospital corridor, of the underground work so abruptly halted. I thought of Mary arrested while walking down a street, and I knew that if Jan Vogel stood in front of me now, I could kill him. This man was one of their own countrymen, but he had betrayed Corey. He betrayed her father, her brother, her sister, everybody they'd been helping. He put all of their lives in danger. It must have felt impossible to believe anything good could ever come from such evil. But thankfully, Corey's story was not over. And I'll share more about that and Joseph's story right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. You are listening to L.J. Harry. I am happily your host, and you're listening to the God's Word for Life Companion Podcast. So glad you're aboard. Welcome back, all of our loyal listeners, and welcome all of our first-time listeners. Today's episode stems from a lesson that is dated May 1st, 2022. Happy May, everybody. And it is entitled Beauty from the Broken. This is the last episode in our series of watching the life of Joseph, watching Joseph grow up from a high school junior all the way to his time in Egypt. Now, as the prime minister of Egypt, the second in command only to Pharaoh himself, and all of that orchestrated by God, using even what his brothers had done against him, what Potiphar's wife had done against him to position him in a place where God could use Joseph all for God's glory. This episode comes from Genesis chapter 45, verses 7 through 8. If you have your Bible, we turn there. If you have your phone, click there. If you're just driving along in your automobile, you can listen. I will happily read Genesis 45, verses 7 through 8. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. That was Joseph. And then Joseph spoke again in Genesis 50, verse 20. But as for you, 
I would say here, as for you, you scallywags and ne'er-do-wells, but Joseph did not say that. He just said, as for you. Ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. The story of beauty from the broken. The story of Joseph. Up in Canaan, the famine has begun to pinch the food supply for Joseph's family and really everybody. Crops failed, the emergency stores ran low, and before long they were facing the very real prospect that they may starve to death. But somehow, probably through travelers or traders, Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt. So he sent his ten eldest sons south all the way down to Egypt to buy food for the family. And like a skilled author, God was drawing the strands of the story together. Tension mounts for the reader as we see Joseph and his brothers are on a collision course. We read this and we say, oh no, Joseph is about to meet up with his brothers. How will he respond? What will happen when they meet now that the power dynamic has been reversed? Now Joseph is in charge. Joseph is royalty in Egypt. His brothers are just commoners and strangers in the land. And Joseph has what they need. How will Joseph respond? Will he be able to forgive them? Will he be vengeful. How's the story going to play out? 13 years have passed between this moment when he was about to meet up with them and the time Joseph's older brothers had thrown him into a well and then sold him into slavery. Joseph wasn't just a 17-year-old lad running around in a coat of many colors. Joseph was in his 30s now, the prime of his life. His brothers had stripped him of that coat of many colors that he loved but they hated now he was dressed in the finest linen Egypt had to offer decked in gold. Where once he had cried out to his brothers from the bottom of a pit, now he would stand over them in regal glory and they would cry out to him and ask him for help. This transformation was so complete, Joseph's brothers would not even recognize him. It had been 13 years. When they met him, they bowed before him and Joseph remembered his dream just as his dream foretold when he was 13 years younger. They did not recognize him, but he absolutely recognized them. How will Joseph respond? It, it seems a little bit like he's undecided at first about what to do with them. He doesn't tell them who he is. Instead, he tested them. He wanted to see if they had changed over the past 13 years, if they had restored a little of their humanity. So first, he accused them of being spies. He held them in prison for three days. <laughs> I'm sure that probably felt a little good to Joseph. Hey, let's give you your chance behind bars for a few days. See how you like it. Then Joseph sent his brothers on their way. Except Simeon. He kept him back in prison as a hostage until they brought back Benjamin, Joseph's younger brother. He wanted to see Benjamin. So the brothers returned home to their father, Jacob, with food, for the family. But Jacob refused. He said, oh, no, no, no. You already took away Joseph from me. I'm not going to send Benjamin too. I'm not losing two of my sons from Rachel. Not going to happen. But they let him know, unless we bring Benjamin back, he won't see us anymore. He won't talk to us anymore. He has our brother Simeon. If we want to live through the famine, we've got to go back and we've got to take Benjamin. So they did go back and they did bring Benjamin. But this time, Joseph, he, he treated them differently. He didn't put them in prison. He actually freed Simeon. And he took all of them back to his house, his royal house. He ordered his royal servants to prepare for them a royal feast. And the next day, 
Joseph sent them back on their way back home, but he told his manager to hide his silver cup, the one he always drank from, in the mouth of Benjamin's grain sack. No sooner they had started on their journey that Joseph sent his manager pounding after them on his noble steed. He caught up with them and he accused them, charged them with stealing Joseph's silver cup. We have been kind to you and you return our kindness with theft. Whoever stole Joseph's cup would be Joseph's slave. That was the simple sentence. And so they looked in their bags of grain and all of their bags of provision as they went all the way down from the oldest to the youngest. Nobody had the silver cup. It got down to Benjamin. Benjamin opened up his grain bag and realized there it is right there at the top of the bag. Joseph's brothers knew exactly what that meant. They knew that meant they're not bringing Benjamin home. They knew that meant when they got home without Benjamin, it would drive Jacob to the grave. They had once willingly sold Joseph as a slave, but the very prospect of losing Benjamin, it was too much for them to bear. They rent their clothes, a sign of deep grief and deep mourning, and they returned all together to face Joseph. They weren't going to sell out Benjamin. They were going to plead for Joseph's mercy. And there, Judah, one of the brothers, offered himself as a slave in Benjamin's place. He pleaded for mercy for the sake of their father. Please, don't, don't, don't take our younger brother. If you take him, it'll kill our father. Joseph saw what he needed to see. They truly had a change of heart. Now let me ask you this question. What do you think brought that about? What brought about this change of heart in Joseph's brothers? When we read this story, some people think it was cruel of Joseph to play these mind games. Joseph knew who they were. Joseph knew what they had done. But Joseph wanted to test them. Let's see if they've changed. It, it's an interesting what-if scenario to wonder what Joseph would have done if it turned out his brothers had not changed in those years. If they had told Joseph's manager, well, Benjamin stole the cup. Benjamin has to go to prison. You know, Ben, do the crime, do the time. That's the way it works. They had galloped on homeward, but they had changed. Over the 13 years, they had changed. Even Joseph had changed. Joseph put his brothers through these tests, and he had been tested. He had been tried. He's no longer the naive teenager who delights in bragging to his brothers, his father, his mother, about his dreams. He's been thrown into a pit. He survived a slave march to Egypt. He had risen and fallen in Potiphar's house. He had languished in prison. He was forgotten in prison. He had ascended to the palace. Joseph had changed. But even at this moment with his brothers completely within his power to do whatever he wanted to and nobody would question it, Joseph was again being tested. Had he changed through everything he had been through? And if so, was it for the better? Let me ask you another question. Why do you think Joseph had to go through these tests in his life? Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that you're Reuben or Judah or one of the other brothers. What are you feeling at that moment? Joseph sees they've had a change of heart. They still don't know who he is. The years have changed him. They can't even recognize him. They're probably expecting the sword to fall. After Judah selflessly offered himself in Benjamin's place. Joseph said, oh, no, 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 no. You don't have to do that. I appreciate it, but no. The one who stole the cup, he'll be my slave. 
and they realize this is this is actually happening. They even thought this, this is all happening because of what we did to Joseph. Thirteen years, and their conscience would not let them go. They interceded. They said, no, please. And they wove the story to Joseph about Joseph. They told him how they had lost their brother, how he had died, and how their younger brother was the only one left of Jacob's beloved Rachel, and how if Jacob lost Joseph and Benjamin, how that would drive him to the grave. They, they could not abide it. They could not bear to see their dad go through that. And as they began to tell the story to Joseph about Joseph and about his dad, it was too much for Joseph. Joseph couldn't restrain himself anymore. He, he sent everybody out of the room. And Joseph said unto his brothers, Come near to me. They came near. And he said, I am Joseph. I'm your brother. I'm the one you sold into Egypt. Don't, don't, don't be grieved. Don't be angry with yourselves. You sold me here, but God sent me to preserve life. Notice how kind, how careful Joseph was when he revealed who he was to his brothers. Joseph prayed. He said, come, come near to me. He wasn't demanding. He didn't push them away. Many, many of these kind of conflicts, they could be resolved peacefully if we just followed Joseph's example. Addressing an issue face-to-face -face with kindness is so much more effective to resolve it than lashing out from some impersonal distance. Joseph said, please, come, come near. Then Joseph reassured his brothers of their relationship. I'm still your brother. I'm still your, your baby brother you never liked. I'm still your brother. But if Joseph's words were, I am Joseph, your brother. They lifted their hopes. His next words probably sent their hopes crashing down. He finished by saying, but you sold me into Egypt. Joseph had not forgotten. He didn't ignore the so-called elephant in the room. He brought it right out in the open immediately. I'm your brother. You sold me. You betrayed me. Nothing can be healed unless it's been addressed. It has to be brought out into the open air. If there's an issue causing conflict, it must be addressed. But rather than getting hung up on the harm his brothers had done, Joseph willingly forgave what they had done, and he focused on the good God had brought from it. This kind of conflict resolution can only work by the grace of God. The English poet Alexander Pope once wrote, To err is human, to forgive, divine. Without God, Joseph probably would have executed some fearful revenge on his brothers for what they had done. Slavery, torture, death, all of it was well within his power and some would even argue within his rights. But instead, Joseph chose to forgive. This passage is filled with some amazing conflict resolution strategies and tactics. What keys to conflict resolution have worked for you in the past? One of the most important principles we read here is in order to be healed, we must address what has caused the hurt and the brokenness. We can't hide from it. We can't pretend like it never happened. It did happen. And God created us so much so that if we try to suppress it, eventually it will come to the surface, sometimes in ways of anger and rage or depression, anxiety. So we must address it, whether that be with God alone or the pastor or a counselor, or as we read in the New Testament, if somebody has ought, if somebody is offended at us, we need to go to them and try to make it right, try to reconcile.
Joseph certainly did that with his brothers. I'm your brother. You sold me. I forgive you. And God worked amazing grace in the lives of Joseph and his brothers. Five years of famine were still on their way. So trekking back between Canaan and Egypt for food, that's not going to be a reliable long-term plan. So instead, Joseph sent his brothers home with food, with wagons, with donkeys, with provision for a journey so they could bring their father, they could bring all their family all the way to Egypt and they could ride out the famine there. No longer would his brothers have to go back and forth, but now they could live in Egypt with their father and with Joseph. Do you see how God was providing for their needs even before they needed? God's plans are so much greater than our plans. His ways are so much higher than ours. Isaiah 55 verses 8 through 9 teach us. Romans 11 verse 33 teaches us his thoughts are past finding out. But rest assured, God has a plan for your life. He is taking every pit you've ever been through, every mile you've ever walked in chains, every day of hard labor, every trial, every trouble, every false accusation, every day in prison, every year you have spent forgotten, and he is working it and weaving it together for good. And when the timing is perfect in a single day, you may go from the prison to the palace. It's not so you can have glory or you can have comfort or you can take revenge. It is so God can make a difference for you, for others, and save your life and theirs. Joseph's brothers returned to their dad, Jacob, with incredible, incredibly good news. Not only is Joseph alive, he's second in command in Egypt. And at first, of course, Jacob couldn't believe that. But when he saw the wagons Joseph had sent, and he saw all the provision and all the food Joseph had sent, that was proof enough for him. The entire family packed their bags and they moved to Egypt. And there, Jacob arranged for them to live in Goshen, part of the best land in Egypt, away from the Egyptians. While they were still in Egypt, the day finally came for Jacob to die. He blessed Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And then Jacob gathered the rest of his sons around his bed and prophesied over them and blessed them. When Jacob died, Joseph had him embalmed in Egypt, and then all Jacob's sons traveled back to Canaan to bury him in the cave alongside Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, and Jacob's own wife, Leah. And now that Jacob was gone, Joseph's brothers feared Joseph would finally take revenge on them. Surely he wouldn't take revenge on them while Jacob was still alive, but now Jacob was gone. Who is to stop Joseph from taking revenge on his brothers for everything they did to him? They sent a messenger to Joseph saying, Hey, baby brother, our dad wanted you to forgive us for everything we did. And then they came in person and they fell down before Joseph, once again bowed before him and said, Behold, we be thy servants. Vengeance was so far from Joseph's mind, he broke down in tears. He told his brothers, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? And then we read this beautiful verse that gives perspective and makes all of the nonsense make sense. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God, he meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. Genesis 50 verses 19 through 21. What amazing faith unshakable faith in God that God had a plan even though Joseph did not see it. 
How is it possible to have this kind of Joseph-style faith in the middle of terrible situations? Maybe you're going through something right now. Maybe it's a sickness, a prolonged sickness, a job loss or layoff, and you can't seem to find work. Or maybe you're going through abuse or neglect, or you're dealing with abuse and neglect from years gone by, and you ask yourself, how in the world could God bring good out of so much evil? But if he did it for Joseph, he can do it for you. What the devil has intended to use to destroy you, God can reshape into something that's powerful, something that's good. The devil sees an addiction to drugs or alcohol or pornography, tearing your life apart. But God sees deliverance. God sees a testimony, a a chain-breaking ministry, an opportunity to share good news with those who may not have any. Maybe life has brought sickness or disability or even death. Hoping tragedy will crush the life out of your faith, the devil reminds you that if God was good, he wouldn't let this happen. And yet God sees an opportunity to give you more grace, to pick you up, to wrap his arms around you, to carry you. Ultimately, God will use you with your hard-worn empathy to reach out to somebody else going through some of the same things you have gone through. All of us have brokenness in us. It's part of the human condition. It comes from our fallen nature. When I get to heaven, I think I may flick Adam and Eve on the nose. So clearly, I need more of that Joseph-style faith and forgive them. Brokenness. It's part of who we are as a fallen humanity, and yet brokenness is not the end. Brokenness gives God an opportunity, an amazing opportunity to flow in our lives, to work in our lives. He picks up the shattered pottery pieces. He submerges us in his spirit to soften us, and he, and he alone, makes beautiful out of broken. We wrap this up. We're going to finish the story we started at the very beginning. After learning that a fellow Dutchman, Jan Vogel, had betrayed them to the Germans, Corrie ten Boom was so consumed with anger and hatred, she could no longer lead the secret Bible study meetings she and her sister Betsy had been leading in their prison barracks. She sat at her workbench working blindly on German radios. She grew ill. She tossed and turned at night. And yet her sister Betsy seemed perfectly fine. So finally Corrie burst out to her one night, Betsy, don't you feel it? Anything about Jan Vogel? Doesn't it bother you? And Betsy replied, Oh, yes, Corey, terribly. But Betsy went on to say that she prayed for him every time his name came to mind. And then she said, How dreadfully he must be suffering. My. Corey was convicted. She pressed her face into her straw-stuffed mattress and prayed for forgiveness for the murder in her own heart, which she realized was a sin, as bad as anything Jan Vogel had done to her. She prayed blessings on him and his family, and that night, for the first time since she had learned his name, she slept peacefully. Corrie Boom didn't know this was the first step, not the last, but the first in letting God take her brokenness and bring beauty. She didn't know that she and Betsy would touch untold lives with the gospel in the midst of the horrific cruelty of concentration camps. She did not know that after the war, she would take down the wire, repaint the barracks a spring green, and transform a German death camp into a place of healing for Germans who were left homeless through the war. She didn't know that one day she would return to her own home, once a hiding place for Jews, and she would turn it into a refuge where the Dutch, who had collaborated with the Germans, just like Jan Vogel, could find forgiveness, and begin allowing God to put their lives back together. 
How about you? Will you lift up your brokenness to God today? Why do we clutch the jagged shards to our hearts when they only cause us pain? Why not see what God can do if we raise our hands to him as if symbolically raising those broken pieces to him and asking him to do what only he can do, bring beauty from the broken. I would like to lead us in prayer right now. I know that there's so much brokenness, things that we have done to cause brokenness and things that others have done to us that has caused brokenness. And yet I know, just as God did it for Joseph and for Corey, God can bring beauty from broken for you. Lord God, I love you. You're the only one who can do it. You're the only one who can bring beauty from the broken. Please today, all of those who are hurting, minister to them and give them a testimony, a testimony of healing, a testimony of grace. Help us today to release any desire for vengeance, any desire for revenge that we have. Even if we harbor hatred in our heart or even murder in our heart, please forgive us. I pray, God, you would free us from bitterness, from resentment, from hatred. And God, I pray you would use everything we have been through to bring beauty, to give us a testimony, to show grace to those who need it. Thank you for Joseph's story. Thank you for Corey's story. I pray give us a story of our own where you bring beauty from the brokenness in our own lives that all of it can glorify you. I ask you this. I thank you, Lord, for being the miracle worker, which I know you are. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate so much you being here and making God's Word for Life a part of your devotion and walk with God. Be sure to click subscribe or share or subscribe and share so you won't miss an episode and none of your friends have to miss an episode. And after this episode, if you want to go and listen to another one, well, by all means, go for it. But if not, why don't you head over to PentecostalPublishing.com, pick up some great resources, Bibles, Bible studies, devotionals, wonderful resources, all for your devotional life and walk with God. Next week, we start a brand new series. It's called You Must Be Born Again. And the first lesson and episode in that series is called Dead or Alive. Are we living dead or are we living alive? And I'll share a whole lot more about that. And I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. And always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, Visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.